Well, good morning, guys. So let me ask you as we start off, have you guys been enjoying our series on the book of Ecclesiastes? It's, um, it's been a good series, I think, and it's made us think. It's a, it's, a, it's a deep book, and it's all right sometimes, to, I think, to jump into the Old Testament and, and stretch ourselves a little bit, and I think that's what uh, this book really does. Um, so I, I appreciate you guys um, being part of, of this series and this study, and I hope, I hope it's helping you. Um, today we get to talk uh, about something that I don't think any of us really like talking about or want to talk about, especially as churches, but it's so important. Um, and it's talking about money in a lot of ways. So um, if you've got your Bibles, you can flip to Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We'll be there in a few minutes. Um, let me just kind of start off by saying, have you ever noticed that when we give young people advice or when the world gives them advice about choosing a career, um, do you really know typically what it's based around? It, it's, you know, we tell them to study hard, go to college, pick a field where you can make a lot of money, graduate, get a good job, get married, and live happily ever after. That's kind of the that's kind of the, the you know the nutshell what we tell young people you know you got to study hard so you can get into a good college you got to get get in a good college so you can get a degree you got to get a degree so you can get a good job you got to get a good job so you can make a lot of money you know what I'm that's kind of the advice we give young people because why why do we do that because money is supposed to re- relieve us of all of our worry right. Uh, if you've got plenty of money, you can pay about your bills, you can get a nice car, you can buy a home. Uh, money gives you an opportunity for pleasure, right? Everything fun costs money, so if you're going to have fun, you've got to have money, so it just makes sense. Money is supposed to give you a sense of security. If you make enough money and save enough money, then when you get old, you'll have something to live on, you won't be a burden to others, you'll have something to pass down to your children. And, and so from a world's perspective... Um, if you want to relieve stress, if you want to have pleasure or enjoyment in life, if you want to have security, then you need money. So that's kind of the message the world gives us. Well, it should probably come as no surprise to you that the Bible doesn't always agree with the world. And, you know, and the Bible really confronts all three of those beliefs and really The Bible even goes so far to say if you have beliefs like that, it's idolatrous uh, when we use money to find meaning. Because money is not what eliminates worry. God is, right? Uh, Money is not the means to enjoyment. God is. And, And money is not the reason that we have security because God is. And so it's getting money in the proper place in our life. And we know money in and of itself is not evil. But at the same time, we know how much of a struggle it is. And I'm just continually amazed at how when we study the Bible, things that it talks about 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, are the exact same problems we face today and that we struggle with. And so Solomon has made the point all along in Ecclesiastes that we live in this cursed world and, and everything in this world, if we're not careful, it just becomes meaningless. Everything is uh, vanity of vanities. Everything is meaningless. Everything is absolute futility. Everything is like a breath, a, a smoke, a vapor that is here and then gone. 
And that's the message we've had over and over and over again. We've looked at wisdom, we've looked at pleasure, we've looked at success, we looked at control, and today we want to look at, in depth at money. And everything comes up empty apart from God. So uh, it's not the reason we're talking about money and, and, and this striving, this greed, this materialism that's so, so much of a struggle for us, it, it's because we don't want to waste our life chasing after things that really aren't important. Things that really don't have eternal significance. We don't want to ruin our life. Uh, so let's jump in. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We have, uh, I think, three weeks left in this study, and we have eight chapters to go. So we've got a lot of ground to cover. Um, we're going to be in chapter 5 and a little bit of 6 today. So uh, here's the first point. I'll just kind of jump right in and get going this morning. And it's simply this. In our broken world, greed leads to injustice and oppression. And so, as we start off here in, in, in chapter 5, verse 8, Solomon is making this point that uh, he's making it from a political, uh, really, viewpoint, a, a governmental viewpoint, that money causes problems. And so, Solomon wants to show us the danger of greed and materialism, and he starts off by showing us economic injustice. And he says this in verse 8, Don't be surprised. If you see a poor person being oppressed by the powerful, and if justice is being miscarried throughout the land, for every official is under orders from higher up, and matters of justice get lost in red tape and bureaucracy, even the king milks the land for his own profit. Okay, would it surprise you if I told you that even in biblical times, the government was not always looking out for your best interest? Can you believe it? Can you believe that? That even that long ago, people were using their positions of power and influence to kind of pad their own pockets. I can't imagine anybody doing that in our government today. And that would never happen, right? Isn't it? I mean, that just, it's amazing to me, again, how over and over again we see these same issues. And he starts off right here with this familiar sight of oppression and injustice. That people in positions of power and influence are using that not, to, not for the sake of others, but really for the sake of themselves. And so, uh, I mean, we see this in our world today, right? I mean, you look at the headlines every day, you see people embezzling money. You see uh, government officials getting rich from lobbyists. You see all this stuff. You see injustice. You see economic injustice. You see racial injustice. You see all this type of things happening every day, and it's nothing new. It's always happened because greed and money corrupt, right? It corrupts people when, when they get so power hungry and so money hungry that that's their focus. They don't care about the effects on other people. And so when you see injustice and oppression, you really shouldn't be surprised by it. Um, why? Because it's always happened and it's going to continue to happen because people are looking for their enjoyment their satisfaction their purpose their meaning all those things they're looking for it in the wrong places and and so the point here is when the leaders answer to no one but themselves it leads to corruption where there's no accountability where there's no uh, purpose and there's no 
no desire to reach out and serve and help others, when it's all about how much we accumulate, it leads to greed and corruption. And we see this in, in, in even like communism, right? Where the government just seizes control of everyone's assets and, and means of production. We see it even in capitalism where uh, people focus on profit at the expense of their, their own people. And, and so it, it, we see this in government. We see this in society. We see this in politics. We see that in our world today. And somehow it's, it seems like people who lack power and authority... Uh, are the ones who always get the short end of the stick. And, and so, it, it, again, it's not money that's the problem. It's those that use it to gain control and take advantage of others. But now Solomon turns from the government, and now he makes it more personal. It's not just government. It's not just society at large. It's also something we individually struggle with. And that kind of leads me to my second point. Money it, it never will truly satisfy. Money will never satisfy. You, you may think it will. You may think, man, if I just had a little bit more, then, then I would be satisfied. That, that's what we tell ourselves, if we just have a little bit more. And so in verse 10, he kind of brings it down to the personal level. It's not just public officials who want to get more money. This is a temptation for each and every one of us. In verse 10, um, <laughs> this is a good verse. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Can we just stop for a minute and highlight this verse? And just, stay, just let this soak in for a minute? I mean, this is like one of those, it's such a simple statement. But yet it's so profound and yet it is such a struggle for so many people. That we think that wealth will bring happiness. We think that, man, if I just could, could get this, then, then I would be happy. No one, I, I think, well, we may say it, but I think most people wouldn't come out and say, hey, I just need more money to be happy. But we live like it. We live like it. Because we think, man, if I could just have a little bit nicer car, my car, I'm afraid it's going to tear, 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 you know, tear up and it won't be able to get me. Or man, I just, if I need a bigger house because I need another bedroom or need another bathroom, if I could have that, then I would be happy. If I could just have a little bit better job because I'm not making enough money and there's people that are coming in making more, I, I need more money. Or, or if I could, uh, we just go on and on and on thinking about what we want what we think we need, what we desire to have, thinking that once we achieve that, once we get to that place, then we're going to be happy and we won't need anything else. The problem is, right, and you see this over and over again, that when we get there, we just set our sights on the next thing. We just keep searching and searching, and, and it leads to a life of frustration and, and, and discontentment. Uh, people often live under the illusion that, man, if I could just make a little bit more money, then I would be happy. And what Solomon does here, he points out that everyone wants just a little bit more. Daniel Aiken says, Solomon's statement has nothing to do with your tax bracket. He does not mention an amount. His statement has everything to do with the heart. You can love money and have a lot, in, or, and you can love money and have a little. The issue is not how much you have. 
The issue is the heart. The issue is failure to be content with what you have. There was a time in your life when you would have jumped at the opportunity to have the income, the family, and the house that you presently have, but now it's not enough. Have you ever thought about that? If you back up five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years ago, I could keep going, right? And to imagine yourself at the place you are now, it would probably blow you away. I mean, I remember my first job I worked in summers at college. I was making $5 an hour, and that was good money. I was excited for that, right? And now, I don't even know what minimum wage is. You don't know what it is. It's a lot. 12? Goodness. Yeah, I mean, see, I mean, that's, I mean, we're dating ourselves a little bit. And some of y'all can go back and remember a lot less than $5, right? 75 cents. Yeah. <laughs> that's throwing it way back, yeah. But can you imagine, yeah, you know, did you ever think you would be making what you are making now? Now, I know everything has gone up in cost, but I mean, now you've got cars and houses. And this, it's just, again, it, 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 it's not how much you have, it's your attitude towards it. And you've all heard the quote from uh, John Rockefeller, who was the richest man in the world at the time. And they asked him, which million that you've earned was your favorite? And he said, my next million, right? Or how much money do you really need? And he just said, just a little bit more. Uh, all, all those famous quotes from him. Um, it's even, uh, even on the Simpsons, Homer Simpson, uh, asked his boss, Mr. Burns, okay, I'm, I'm giving, I'm giving you, you're the richest man I know. And, he, and Mr. Burns replied, yes, but I would trade it all for more. That's the attitude we have today. Nothing is ever good enough. And, and Solomon is just pointing out that, that most of us think that we're the exception but we're, we're not really, because even if we don't say it, we live like it. That we're not satisfied. We're not content. We, we are always striving for a little bit more. The media even has a, a term for this now. It's called affluenza. <laughs> Have you heard of that term? Affluenza, right? Uh, it, it's kind of this unhealthy relationship with money, this unhealthy pursuit of more. And, 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 and I think most Americans have even a mild case of this. And, 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 I, and I, you know... <laughs> I don't have to tell you that our country has been blessed economically. Even in the midst of a recession or even with rising inflation, we are still blessed economically in so many ways. The government likes to rail against the top 1%, but the reality is that almost every single person, if you own a car and a house, you're in the top 1% of people in the world. All right? I mean, I mean like that, that's just the reality of this world we live in. Um, uh, you know, it, it's just it's crazy to think about um, <laughs> how much money that we have and we don't even realize it. The median worldwide income, listen to this, is $2,800 per year. $2,800 per year. Um, that means that most of the households in America make more than 25 times the median worldwide income. And so he's just pointing out, if money is where you find your satisfaction, you're never going to be satisfied. You're always going to want just a little bit more. And that brings me to my next point. What money really does, it only makes life more complicated. 
Money makes life more complicated. The more money you have, the more complicated it is. And we think the inverse. We think the opposite. We think, man, if I just had more money, it would simplify my life. I'm telling you, he goes on here. He goes on to, to kind of list the problems. The first problem, he says, you're going to attract people who just want to hand out. People are going to flock to you when you have money. Verse 11, the more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. Amen? Uh, so what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? I, I love how practical and how... It, it, I mean, yes, it's a little bit cynical, the whole book of Ecclesiastes, because it's this like, it, like weathered old man that's just saying, hey, I've tried it all and nothing's worked apart from God. And he's saying this, right, if you just get money... People are going to come from everywhere to help you spend it, right? It's always the joke about if you win the lottery, you're going to have a lot more friends, right? Because everybody's going to want a piece of it. People who never asked you for money before will be beating down your door about helping them. Proverbs says, wealth adds many friends, but a poor man is separated from his friends. Um, such is the, one of the realities of wealth. When you have it, people are going to ask you for it. Solomon knew this. And you think about all the servants and all, I mean, again, looking at all the wives and concubines and all the people he had to support. Uh, and, I mean, you, everybody was wanting a handout from him. The reality is, and I've seen statistics that say up to 70% of lottery winners will eventually go bankrupt. That's crazy, isn't it? Because why? You get money, and not only are you spending stuff for you, everybody else says, hey, can you help with this? Can you help with it? I was, I was reading about one of the pro football quarterbacks that retired, and was, he was actually looking at a cell phone bill, and he had 60 different cell phone, bill, cell phone plans on his bill that he was supporting. And he was one that actually ended up going bankrupt. You see this all the time with professional athletes. They're supporting not just themselves, not just their brothers and sisters, not just their kids and wives, their, their parents, and it's uncles, cousins, aunts, a, a whole extended family. It's all their friends from high school, and it's all, and everybody kind of leans on them, and everybody is asking for money. And it doesn't take long to spend it. Um, and so, again, it, it, it makes life more complicated. What else does it does? It causes you to lose sleep. Verse 12, people who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. Money brings worry and stress. And if you work hard, all right, if you work hard all day, when you go home and you lay down, you're going to sleep. Because you are tired, you're worn out, and you're just going to sleep, and you're going to sleep good. You're going to wake up the next morning, and you're going to... Now, it's, a, it's hard, but that's, that's just the reality. But he's saying here, if you have a lot of money, you're not going to sleep much. Why? Because you're worried about it. You're worried about losing it. You're worried about what's going to happen, and who needs this, and who do I have to pay, and all this. It, it makes life complicated. Um, you look... Um, uh, you know, you see all the time all these stories about all these billionaires that say, hey, I only sleep like two hours a night or three hours a night. I'm like, why? I enjoy, I mean, sleep makes you healthy. It makes you feel good. You need sleep to function correctly, right? 
in life. And, and these guys that are bragging about never sleeping because they're into so many different things, that's not a life that we should aspire to. Um, I remember when I was working as an engineer one time, um, one of the guys who had an office job was like, he, he, he was miserable. And he's like, I, I want to get back. He went back and started working in the factory. And he said, I can go home and I don't have to worry about all, being on the phone all day and what everybody was saying. I can just work hard and go to sleep. There's a lot of truth in that, right? Money can complicate things. It can cause stress. And then what happens if you have a lot of money and you don't work hard physically, you end up buying a gym membership so you can work hard. Or you buy so much stuff that you don't have anywhere to put it, so you go buy a storage unit to put it in. That's the world we live in. We spend money, right, trying to do the things that we were created to do naturally. So it keeps going. You'll be stressed. You'll lose sleep, but you'll also be stressed. Verse 13 um, says, There's another serious problem I've seen under the sun. Hoarding riches harms the saver. Money is put into risky investments that turn sour and everything is lost. In the end, there's nothing left to pass on to one's children. People who have a lot of money are stressed out about losing it. They're always watching their investments. They're always worried about what's going on with their money. Um, an interesting article was written by a non-Christian. It says, what does wealth do to your soul? And what they said, making lots of money makes you selfish, unhappy, and dishonest. The article cited studies that revealed the richer people are, the more likely they are to cut off other drivers, to not give pedestrians the right of way, and to take candy from children. <laughs> that's what it said. That, I mean, that's, it's funny. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's like a picture of, of the Grinch, right? I mean, that's what happens when you have money. But the Bible is clear that the joyful life is a generous life. The joyful life is one that's focused not on yourself but on others. What else does it do? It just says you'll end up with nothing. You'll end up with nothing. And the reality is, he says this in verse 15, we all came to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. And this, too, is a very serious problem. People leave this world no better off than when they came. All their hard work is for nothing, like working for the wind. Throughout their lives, they live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. Um, Daniel Aiken said, We brought nothing into this world. We will lose everything when we die. After all, Ecclesiastes has made it abundantly clear that we will return to the dust. The point is that, that we do not lose our mo- if we do not lose our money in a bad business deal, then we're certainly going to lose it at death. That we'll lose it one way or the other. We enter the world naked with nothing in our hands. Uh, it says, babies don't come out of their mama's stomach holding the cash necessary to pay the hospital bills. <laughs> they come into the world with nothing, and we're going to leave the same way with nothing. And he says this, right? Even if somehow you're able to secure uh, your wealth and keep it away from all the greedy politicians and all the injustice and corruption, even if you 
you get enough money that you're at least close to being satisfied. Even if you're able to avoid the friends who always want what you've earned. Even if you manage to live with a limited amount of worry. Even if you live this whole life without losing your fortune. Even if you achieve all of these things, you don't escape the last one. You're going to lose it when you die. And that's the point Solomon is making. If, you, if this is the goal of your life, it's, it's going to leave you empty and unfulfilled. And so how do we fight this struggle of greed and materialism? That's really, I mean, I, I'm kind of laid out this whole thing. It's like, this is all the problems. This is all the, the struggle we have with money and greed and materialism. How do we, how do we overcome it? Because I don't want to just leave you beating you up, just telling you how bad you are and how, how wrong it is to, and, and thinking that you have to be poor and miserable to, to, to follow Jesus. Because it's not about how much money you have. It's about what we do with it. And that kind of leads me to, to these three things that I want to tell you that we can learn to do to overcome it. Here's the first. We need to learn to be content with what we have. We've got to be content with what we have. Money isn't bad when we use it God's way. Just as he's been honest about all, this, all the problems of prosperity, he also wants to tell us the truth about finding joy in the everyday things of life. Like working and feasting. It, it, it's a recurring theme in Ecclesiastes. There's all these passages, and whether they're called the Carpe Diem passages or the enjoyment passages, or there's all these passages scattered throughout the books about hey, you just need to enjoy the gifts that God has given you. you you've got to be content in what you have. The problem is we've forgotten what contentment really is. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, we keep going in verse 18. Even so, I've noticed one thing at least that is good. It is good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them and to accept their lot in life. And it's a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it, to enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. This is indeed a gift from God. God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they take no time to brood over the past. And so what he's telling us, what we enjoy, what we have been given, we find our satisfaction not in those things, but in the God who has given them and blessed us with them. And so it's funny, when he's talking about all the problems with money, he didn't really mention God, but now, in verses, these verses, 18 through 20, he just talks about God over and over again. And so he brings the focus back to God. It's when we put our possessions in light of what God has given us that we can find contentment um, he tells us that if we do have money we should enjoy it. it it almost sounds like a contradiction but it's not because it's where the 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 power of the enjoyment where it originates from where it comes from and it comes from understanding where our gifts actually originate it, it comes from understanding who has given them to us and so whether we have things and whether we can enjoy things, we have to understand they are gifts from God. And if we have no joy, then it's a problem because we're looking to the wrong things for our joy and life. And so the end of chapter 5, the beginning of chapter 6, explain that, that what you have, where you are in life, the ability to enjoy all those things, it all comes from God. Ecclesiastes 6.9 says this, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless, like chasing 
after the wind. This struggle over and over and over again that we see here, right? Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Enjoy what you have. It's contentment. That's the message over and over again we see. We've got to learn to find contentment in something that will last. Something that will actually fulfill us. Paul knew this as well. And so Paul, the book of Philippians is, is, is a book about contentment. And, and I've shared some of these verses before, but Philippians 4.12 says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret to living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or an empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That's contentment, right? And he goes on to talk about, not Paul does, not just to talk about contentment, but about generosity. And that's the second thing. If we want to overcome and fight this struggle, we've got to learn the power of radical generosity. Uh, Philip Ryken says this, he said, What should we say about the things that we own? If we are wise, we will say to ourselves, Now here is something that God has given me to enjoy for the time being, or maybe to give it away for the work of His kingdom, but I need to remember that I will never be able to take it with me when I die. So since we are headed for eternity, we need to travel light. I love that, right? We need to travel light. We need to understand that our things that we have, we can either use them, right? Uh, We can enjoy them for the time being. Maybe we give them away. Maybe we use them to advance the kingdom. But it's we travel lightly in this world. So Paul continues right after he says, uh, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. He keeps going. He says in verse 14, Even so, you have now done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, the Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. When, when Paul he's in prison, he's writing about being content. He's writing about joyful. What he's, he's thanking them for being generous. He's thanking them for supporting the work of his ministry. He's thanking them for for what they're doing because he understands that when you are generous, it overcomes this this greed and materialism that grips so many of us. He recognized that generosity helped them overcome this this struggle. And, And when we meet the needs of other people, it frees us from being enslaved to wanting more and more. And the more you do it, the more rewarding it is. And Paul even talks about it in 2 Corinthians being a lifestyle. He says, remember this. A farmer who plants only a a few seeds will get a a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. So this idea of radical generosity is throughout the Bible. Now, it's interesting, the Old Testament talks about tithing and the New Testament mentions it some. But Paul kind of takes that whole idea of generosity and tithing and says, okay, it's not just tithing. Your, your whole life is about being generous. I believe that, that the tithe is, is honestly, I mean, you don't hear it talked a lot in the New Testament because when Paul talks about it, he says to sell everything you have and follow after Jesus. 
We could adopt that as a church. That would go good, wouldn't it? I mean, the reality is, I mean, we are called to be radically generous to support ministry. And that's, that's just what the Christian life looks like. And the more you give, the more you see how it frees you from being enslaved to always wanting more and more and more. And we finally, the last thing, we learn that Jesus is all we truly need. This is what's so dangerous to me about what I would call the prosperity gospel. And this is something you'll see on TV all the time. And from time to time, I've brought this up over the years, but... I just, there's so many preachers on TV that will tell you, God wants you to be rich. God wants you to have wealth. God wants you to be happy. God wants you to have great health. God wants you to have all of this stuff. And and the scary thing is, this is what we're taking in to all these nations in Africa and Central America. And there's preachers going down there and telling them, if you just give all your money to me, then God will bless you. And they're following after the American church. Why? Because that's what they see on TV. And there's all these preachers preaching this. And people are like, oh man, that made me feel so good. I just want to, God wants me to be happy. God wants me to have a good life. God wants me to. And and they've kind of taken the gospel and, and made it all about us instead of making it about Jesus. What we need is Jesus. We don't need all this stuff to fulfill us. The Bible even tells us, right, we're going to suffer. We're going we're to go through trials and tribulations. We may even be killed for what we believe. And our satisfaction in, is not in our stuff. It's in Jesus. John Piper, there's a video online. He said this several years ago and was given a speech. And um, He said, I don't know what you feel about the prosperity gospel, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, but I tell you what I feel about it. He was talking to a bunch of college students. He said, I just feel hatred. Um, He continued, he said, it's not the gospel. And this is being exported from this country to Africa and Asia, selling a bill of goods to the poorest of poor. Believe this message and your pigs won't die and your wife won't have miscarriages and you'll have rings on your fingers and coats on your back. And and this is coming out of our country, right? That, That people ought to be giving our money and our time and our lives this is what we're instead of telling them that we're telling them here you, you it's all about you and he said this he goes on and he says i'll tell you what makes jesus look beautiful um, he says it's when you say through the deepest possible pain that god is enough it's what makes jesus look when you can say through any situation when you have nothing you can say god is enough It's not about your things. We need to remember that the people who find the greatest enjoyment in life are the ones who have a close personal relationship with the giver. When we are saved, we get a new outlook, we get a new heart, we get a new life. And and, and no longer do those things attract us anymore. Our focus has now changed on how we can serve God and how we can please God and how we can honor Him through our everyday life. 2 Corinthians 9 says, And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. God is the one who gives us fulfillment. Philippians 4.19, going back to that Philippians passage, he says, This same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from His glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. 
The reality is we're going to be with God for eternity. That's what we lay up our treasures for. That's where, we're, that's where our sights are set on. It's beyond this short, brief life. And that's what Ecclesiastes keeps pointing out to us. Are we viewing life from an under-the-sun perspective, or are we looking out to see uh, with an eternal perspective? The gospel, and, and Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, he says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that by His poverty He can make you rich. This is what God, that's God, He left heaven, came to earth, became one of us. He emptied Himself of divine privilege, as, as Philippians 2 says. Um, and He came and became one of us, a servant, so that we might be with Him forever. I'm, I'm going to close with 1 Timothy chapter 6, a passage that you've heard before. But I think that it just summarizes everything we've talked about today. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. We can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Saying the same thing as Ecclesiastes. Don't be one of those people who you're constantly striving for more and all it does is causes you more sorrow and strife. Your true contentment is found in Jesus. And that we're going to keep preaching Jesus. We're going to keep teaching Jesus. We're going to keep pointing you to the only one who can meet your deepest need. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, He changes your desires. He changes your focus. He changes everything about your life. And that's the relationship that I want to invite you to have. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that your word continues to push back on our, against our culture against what we, the world tells us that we need. The world tells us that if we only had a little more, then we would be happy. But you tell us, Lord, that Jesus is all that we need. Jesus is all that we need. And so, Heavenly Father, my prayers that each and every person here, they would be able to say Jesus is enough. It's not Jesus plus my stuff. It's not Jesus plus a nice house. It's not Jesus plus my health. It's Jesus. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And when I have Jesus, I don't need all these other things to make me happy. It's my relationship with you. And your word tells us that we can have a relationship with the God who created us because Jesus loved us so much that he left heaven. He came to earth. He died on the cross to take the punishment, the sin, the shame that we have. And in exchange, he gave us his righteousness. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that for every person here, they would be able to say, I know Jesus, and He is enough. He is enough. Lord, we just thank You this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.